It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Ann Thomas and Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. Welcome to WJR's Healthy Woman Show, brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, the founder of the center. And Dr. Carol, on this edition of the show, it's all about fertility. It's all about fertility, the definition, the workup, the hope, the treatments, the advanced treatments, new trends, and the walk of hope. And you know, I said fertility because we want it to be fertility. You got it. We want to get rid of infertility. (laughs) You got it. A great show coming up next. WJR's Healthy Woman Show, brought to you by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with Dr. Carol Kowalczyk from the Michigan Center. And Dr. Carol, this show is all about infertility. All about infertility, and hopefully you guys are going to really enjoy thinking about sperm and egg and putting them all together and making a baby. So it is Infertility Awareness Week, the last week of April, and I thought that perfect opportunity to talk all things fertility. So let's start with the definition of infertility. So the definition of infertility is the inability to get pregnant after a year of trying if you're under 35. Six months if you're over 35, and how I teach my medical students and residents is if you're over 40, it's yesterday. So if you're sitting there thinking you want a family and it's not happening and you're in one of those three age ranges, that's a little clue that you should maybe start to see your OBGYN or someone like me to figure out what could be the problem. And and I want to start out by saying, don't be nervous. Don't think, oh, a my, lot of people are, oh right? my God, don't think something's wrong with you. Don't think that you're a failure. I'll hear that. Or I'm broken. No, you're not. It's so common. Everyone knows somebody who has problems with fertility. We're talking one out of eight couples, 10 to 15 percent of the population. And and it's a medical diagnosis. You had high blood pressure, diabetes. You're in your doctor's office like yesterday. No big deal. Let's figure this out and fix it. Same thing with fertility. So I feel like I know a lot of people, a lot of couples that are struggling with this. My children are all young adults. They have friends that are struggling. This is really common. It's so common. And I get this question all the time. Why do you think it's so common, Dr. Kowalczyk? What do you think's going on? Why do you think there's more infertility? Well, you know what? There may be a little more infertility now, but part of it, and it could be because... People are older when they're starting to have their families. People are waiting for Mr. Amazing as opposed to Mr. Sperm Donor. Um, They're getting their educations. They're exposed to more things like illness and infections and surgeries and things like that. But people are talking about it more and i am so grateful for that people are actually at the ball game at the bowling and at work at you know cocktail parties how many times have i heard you know i finally talked to my friend and you know what they had problems too and you know what they told me to see this doctor and it was dr kwalchek you know and, right. and and so people are talking about it social media is talking about it actresses professionals they're all opening up so i think this communication is awesome that we can get it out there that don't be afraid because years ago 
nobody talked right. about it, right? N- right. Nobody talked about it. And I can tell you, um, it's been our 20th anniversary of Michigan Center this year, and I've been doing this for like 28 years. And uh, I can What see- was it like years ago? You know what? It was... I can see the trend. I can see the trend that more knowledge was starting to occur, therefore more more education from us, the providers. And I just see more people are talking. uh, They tend to be more women focused slash based, meaning that we rarely would see men in the office and it would be the woman's, you know, duty to go ahead and get the work up done and initiate Lots of husbands, lots of partners, lots of guys um, are coming in, uh, you know, more same-sex couples feel more comfortable. So we're seeing those trends, um, which goes along with knowledge and communication and acceptance. And I, I, I just see the trends very positive. In order to make people more comfortable, let's kind of start from the beginning. So we have a couple that's struggling and they need to see you. Mm-hmm. How does it work? What do they do? So they'll usually, we get uh, patients one of three ways. We get it through physician referrals, we get it through other people who've had great experiences, or we get it through social media. And so we make a point when they come to our offices, and you've been to all of mine, Anne. Oh, they're beautiful. That they're, thank you. They're very spa-like. Yes. Um, they're, very, they're not sterile. They're very welcoming. The purpose is when you walk in, you're like, okay, I'm going to be taken care of. I hate the white coat. Um, I always got in trouble as a resident for not wanting to wear mine because I just don't like them. I think that just it's like, I don't know. It's like I'm you, you're me. I, I, um, so the staff is all comfortably dressed, and you will be welcomed warmly. And the first thing we do is we get an extensive history from both uh, partners, and then uh, we will talk about what a fert- basic fertility workup entails. And it usually takes one menstrual cycle to get the data we need to then have a discussion about what to do next. So once you've done that, and how does the discussion start after that? So it's three parts of a triangle for a fertility workup. It's hormone, sperm, and structure. So on the uh, first part of the cycle, cycle day two, three, or four, fasting, the woman will get a hormone workup to identify things that could be a problem causing uh, difficulties with ovulation, things like thyroid, prolactin, sugar, insulin. An FSH level is going to give me an idea of how young her ovaries are. It's a hormone follicle stimulating hormone produced in the brain. AMH, anti-malarian hormone, is a hormone that is telling me how many eggs she has left to work with. So based on her age, her BMI, these hormones, and what's called an antrophollicle count, which is an ultrasound in the first week of the period of the cycle, that'll tell me her fertility potential. Uh, if there's problems with her hormones, we treat it to fix it. Second part is to do a semen analysis. 30 to 50% of the time, it's a problem with the guy. 20% solely the rest in combination with a problem with a female. So a semen analysis would be scheduled during the two weeks the woman's getting her workup done. And then the third part of the triangle is either doing an x-ray dye test called an HSG or a ultrasound version called a sonohistogram days 6 through 12 to identify any structural abnormalities in the uterine cavity and or the tubes. So that's done within one menstrual cycle. Then we'll see the couple before the subsequent period to go through all the test results and make our game plan. How often are you able to find the problem right oh my then and there? You know what? Oh, probably over 90% of the time we can find a reason why people are not being able to get pregnant. And about that same percentage, we've got treatment options available to correct and fix the problem. Uh, and again, those treatment options may include 
out of the box choices where your journey on the road was was made to go right and it's going left to get to the same goal. But, you know, most of the times we can figure it out. Uh, Only about 10 to 15 percent of couples are in the category of unexplained infertility. And even those couples we have treatment options for. So once you've counseled the couples, do you also take a look at their lifestyles to see how things are going there, their health, their Mm. weight, that kind of thing? I'm so glad you mentioned this, Anne, because I'm really proud to say that we're probably one of the only fertility practices in Michigan that has a wellness center right attached to it in the Warren office. That is something we focus on significantly. At fertility conferences, they really are starting to talk about, you got to start with a good base for my medications or my treatment options to optimize your success. So absolutely, we are going to look at your lifestyle changes. What is your body weight? What is your nutritional status? Um, Do you smoke, drink, you know, do any drugs? Uh, Are you overweight? Are you underweight? What is your stress level? What is your sleep like? You know, antioxidants, eggs and sperm love antioxidants. They hate sugar. So we go through a regimen where day one, the first day you meet me, you were talking about a plant-based diet, 70 to 80% of your diet plant-based. We're talking about a sugar challenge, less than 24 grams of sugar, not just the cakes and cookies, but the hidden sugars, physical activity, 30 minutes, three times a week, just walking will improve getting antioxidants into the ovary and the testicles, acupuncture, stress management, Uh, We have uh, vitamin supplements or protocols for men and women. So you're walking out that door (laughs) the first day and you've got the first month to get all these nutritional advantages in you. And then the second month, we're talking test results. And then third month plan, you've got all this time to start prepping your body to make the treatment most optimal. How do couples respond to that? You know, some people don't like to be told that they've got to change their lifestyle. Let me tell you, it's the opposite. Every single day, every single patient, the last question they ask me before I even get a chance to say it, what can I do naturally to improve my fertility? They are all, oh my God. And that's what's so cool about fertility patients, especially now. They are so embraced in this journey and so motivated. They want to take ownership of their fertility. And I am so excited to work with patients like that because they're part of this team and let's roll up our sleeves. Let's figure it out. And and they want to do whatever they can to make this work. Well, and those are the people that are going to have a higher success rate, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes. And those are the ones that are motivated. We're part of a team, you know, and they're not willing to give up and, and they're open to tons of options for fertility, those are the ones that are the most successful. Let's take a quick break and we will continue discussing the infertility journey in just a few minutes. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show and Dr. Carol, today we are talking about the infertility journey for many, many couples. So we've discussed how people can come to you and find out whether they have a problem. And now I wanna talk a little bit about how do you treat these problems so that nine months from now or (laughs) a year from now, there can be a beautiful baby girl or boy. Well, let me tell you, we take the 
test results that we have in the first month, and we sit down and talk to the couple about what treatment options are available. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the treatment options for the hormones, then the sperm, then the structure that is more basic. And we're not a fertility center that says, state your name, do IVF. There are places that are like that, that are IVF factories, and there are couples that just don't want to do it for many reasons, religious, financial, moral, just, just not ready. And so my philosophy with my team is, let's start with what's affordable, what's more basic, and then if it doesn't work, then go on to IVF. Or let's face it, if my test results show you need IVF, then I'm not going to lie to you, you need IVF. Um, so, uh, so hormonally, sometimes just fixing a thyroid or losing some weight or regulating your insulin and your sugar or fixing a hormone called prolactin might be all you need to ovulate more regularly and you don't need any fertility medication. But if those things are normal and or treated with no effect, then there are a couple medications we use. Uh, One is Clomid. Clomid's been around since the 60s. What it does is it fakes your brain into thinking you're not producing enough female hormone, which then stimulates that production higher. Then It will then stimulate your ovaries to produce more estrogen, which will then stimulate egg production. Um, and the other one is, a, is called Femera, also letrozole. This is a breast cancer drug, and it's used to treat breast cancer. But in five-day doses, what it does is it balances the male and female hormones to produce eggs and ovulation as well. So most of us will, they're both equally effective. Uh, and you need to remember that humans are horrible reproducers. We've got a 10, 15, 20% chance of getting pregnant per month. The older you are, the less chance per month. So all these drugs are doing is they're meeting nature's success rate, right? So it's not any higher. What we're doing is fixing the problem to get you to that nature's level. So letrozole and clomid are equally effective in doing that. And more OBGYNs and us choose letrozole. Why? Is because it's out of your system before you ovulate, less side effects. Um, as opposed to Clomid, which is still a great drug, but it can cause things like hot flashes, vaginal dryness, and in a certain percentage of patients, the lining gets too thin and the cervical mucus gets too thick for holding a pregnancy and the sperm to get through. So what we'll do is we'll use these medications based on where you are in your cycle, starting on day five for Clomid, starting on day three for Letrozole, and then we do ultrasound monitoring to see if it's working. And uh, the ultrasounds are mid-cycle to see if you produce follicles, cysts on the ovaries, 18 to 20 millimeters. Once we see that, you'd get a trigger shot called Avadrel. It's HCG. The purpose of that is to mature the egg, make it release, and support the second half of the lining. And then it's sex every other day, days 10 through 20. Men usually love me when I say that. <laughs> and uh, I'm their best friend. And, uh, and then also consider uh, adding insemination, which we'll talk about in a minute. So those are things that we can do. If it's going to work, it'll happen in three to four months. No success. You move on to something else. So that's how you do the hormonal treatment. So you know after three to four months, if there's a pregnancy, great. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all you need to do. Mm-hmm. If not, what happens after that? Right. So statistically, if it's going to work, it'll happen within three to four months. And if it isn't happening by then, it's time to move on to a different treatment. But before I do more advanced things, what do we do if there is a structural problem? So say we find that there is 
a non-cancerous growth like a polyp or a fibroid in the uterine cavity, we need to remove that because that can decrease your chance of success up to 50%. And that's pretty common, isn't it? Very, very. About 26% of reproductive age women will have this little polyp. It's like a skin tag that they don't even know unless maybe they're pursuing fertility or they get, you know, mid-cycle spotting or things like that. Uh, Fibroids tend to grow more slowly and as women age, there is a higher incidence that women will get fibroids. So that's important. The tubal assessment depends upon someone's history. So if they have a red flag that they're going to have a problem with their tubes, like um, a pelvic infection, ectopic pregnancy, myomectomy, which is a fibroid removal surgery, uh, any other kind of infection, ruptured appendix, those are all red flags or warnings that there could be tubal issues. An x-ray dye test at the hospital will look to see if there's damage to the tubes. And if there is dilation and damage to the tubes or they're blocked, then the recommendation is to surgically remove those tubes, or if the tubes are blocked, go on to more advanced procedures. Semen analysis, if there's a problem with the sperm count, motility, or shape, and it's really significant, we send them to our male fertility specialist colleagues who could then do the appropriate workup to find out what the problem is and treat them. Or we can do something called insemination, which is intrauterine insemination or IUI. You take the sperm, wash it, and you put the sperm into the uterus with a little catheter uh, closer to the target. And what the process does is kind of hyper moves the sperm, gets it closer to then hopefully improve fertility. So current recommendations are to combine the letrozole clomid with ultrasound and usually with an IUI to optimize the success of those oral medications. And then if that doesn't work, there's more advanced treatments we can do. What are some of the really advanced treatments for your tougher cases? So IVF is where people will gravitate to if the workup warrants that that is what they need to do initially, or if some of these other measures don't happen uh, in the next three to four months. So IVF has had some great, great uh, improvements. And uh, we now uh, can quote four times higher at least success rate than Nature and IUI. So wow, yeah, so we're looking at a 50, 60% success rate or higher. And with IVF, uh, it, it takes about five weeks. So uh, from your period to getting the eggs out takes about five weeks. And so you may or may not get on birth control for me to control the ovaries. 10 to 12 nights of fertility injections you give yourself uh, to stimulate multiple follicles or eggs to be produced. We monitor you with blood and ultrasound, and when the lead follicle is 18 to 20 millimeters, you'd get a special dual trigger to mature the eggs, and then 36 hours later, in my Warren office under IV sedation, we're getting all the eggs you made that cycle. Fresh sperm we get from uh, the partner, and then um, fertilize the uh, eggs. Five days later, they're advanced embryos called blastocysts. And then, depending on the age of the patient, the medical condition, and their desire uh, for doing further testing, an embryo can be put back uh, at that time, and then we freeze the rest of the embryos. It doesn't hurt them. It's called a fast freeze or vitrification process, where the way that they're frozen does not damage the embryo. Or most of our patients choose to do something called PGTA, or genetic testing of the embryos such that you can take a sample of every embryo, send it to an outside lab, and they can let you know which embryos are genetically normal or not. So we can identify ahead of time a normal embryo, extra chromosome, absent chromosome, Down syndrome. And my embryologist, who's amazing, by the way, 
uh, can't tell. They're all like gorgeous under the microscope, all double A, but there could be a double A with an absent chromosome seven that's not gonna get you pregnant right next to a perfectly normal looking embryo that's also genetically normal. So this allows us to identify which embryos to put back in. In that situation, then you would not get a transfer that day. Uh, we would freeze the embryos, wait for the report card, and then have to reprep your uterus uh, to put the embryo in at a later date. The advancements here are just astounding. I mean, just listening to you talk about this, it's kind of a wow. It's so fun. And you know what? It's so cool. And people ask me, why did you go into fertility? And this is why, right? Right. I mean, you know, back when I was a, a, a resident, you know, all this stuff was happening and it was all new and the, and the success rates every year were getting higher and higher and higher. And then I love the fact that we ideal get to deal with men and male factor. There's a lot of psychology involved. Yes. So, you know, with all of these treatments, all of this stuff can be put together. And we are, and it's not just what we do. Um, back in the day, we used to hit people hard with these fertility drugs. Now we got smarter and like, hey, you know what? The high estradiol might have a damaging effect to the eggs. How about a gentle stim? What are we going to do with all these extra embryos? You know, back in the day, the older REIs, it was a race. Oh, I got 50 eggs. I got 40 eggs. What do you need 50, 40 eggs for? I mean, really? And they weren't as good quality. So now we do a gentle stim, and and then we're getting better eggs, better embryos. We only put one embryo in. We learn from that. Part of the whole twin problem was us. So as mm -hmm. a society, we're like, uh-uh. You know what I mean? We're only going to put in one. There's a lot of risks with twins. Two doesn't increase the success rate. So and then why? So you need less embryos, and the genetic testing is helping. So it's just such a exciting. I mean, I love coming to work every day, and I, I'm not. It's like the best job you have is when you don't feel like you're working. Exactly. Love, love, love fertility. And 25, you know, it's going to be 30 years and a couple of years, and it's just. I just love it. And, and, and just the advancements and the lab, you know, I credit to my embryologist, Michael, he's, you know, he's all the media that's changed and, and the way the incubators are and just the, it's just a miracle. Right. You're doing wonderful things and you are making miracles for these patients. It's just a great, great story and a great job. Well, th well the good Lord is doing that. I'm just an instrument. So. I love it. <laughs> so let's take a break. Coming up, let's talk a little bit about some of the new trends, because you guys are always working on these incredible advancements. And I know that you help a lot of older patients, and that's really a great story, too. So we'll be back right after this. conversation today, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk, and I just love hearing your enthusiasm and your love when you talk about infertility treatments. It's pretty cool. Well, you are so sweet to say it. it you know, I, my whole team, I'm nothing without my team, and I got to tell you, Anne, it just, you know, there's so much hope, and there's so many positive results that we get, and I'm just excited to be able to share that there's so many opportunities to be successful in your journey that it's, it's, just, a, it's just a blessing to be to work every day. Now, what are you seeing these days in the office with regard to trends, new trends, treatments, that kind of thing? So one of the things our staff are really starting to see a lot of are both ends of the spectrum. So egg freezing. I can't tell you how cool it is that we are getting so many women 
that are coming in and listening to the social media, listening to their friends, understanding that fertility can be a problem. And I can't tell you how many are in their uh, 20s or 30s that are like, "Ah, you know what, I need to do some egg freezing because A, I'm not done with school, B, I haven't met my partner, C, I don't know if I want kids, but I don't want that window to be shut down for me, right? So they'll come in and we'll get a hormone workup on them, ultrasound, and then we do IVF and we freeze eggs. Depending on how old they are, depending on how many kids they want, we have to freeze so many eggs for a 75% chance of one baby. So obviously, the younger you are, the less eggs are going to be frozen as opposed to older. And it's no guarantee for pregnancy. So say, like I said, one cutie pie who is 28 and she's like, oh, you know what? I'm not finding that person. She goes and freezes eggs with me. She has 15 eggs. The next week, she meets this hottie at the pool. (laughs) And they've been dating now for four months. And she goes, can you believe it? I took the egg freezing for me to meet this guy. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe it was a correlation, but hey, you got some backup over there. But that young lady, she now gets married at 30. We're going to keep those eggs frozen. And she's going to try out those 30-year-old eggs first with her partner. Um, Also, older ones. Interesting. Yeah, there's older couples who are in their 28, 30 years, you know, 35 years old, and they're professionals. I've got a a lawyer couple that are like, hey, you know what? We're both in the same law firm. We want kids, but you know what? We don't want them yet, but we know about this whole fertility thing, so let's make embryos. So they got together, made the embryos, genetically tested them, and now they've got like four normal ones, and that's good enough for them, and they're off on their career, and now the embryos are in their early, uh, mid-30s. And it's it's all cool. So and, and, and people are talking to each other about, hey, you need to do this. And uh, it, it's really, really exciting to be able to have that ability to uh, let, you know, young women have that opportunity. It really is. The other group of people that you help yes. are the people that have cancer or other very serious health conditions and you can make their dreams come true, well, too. Well, actually, on my way uh, in tonight, uh, I got that phone call. So mm-hmm. someone had a, a uh, cancer. And so what happens is we work with the oncologists and and we um, tag team. So they will usually, if it's a breast cancer or whatever, they'll get their breast surgery. Oncologists will call us. It's the only fertility emergency. So we get them in within a couple of days of our phone call. And then we do our workup, coordinate their IVF cycle, freeze their eggs, or if they have a partner, freeze their embryos, and then we send them back to their oncologist to get their chemotherapy, because most of the chemotherapies will have some effect on ovarian uh, function and their potential. So um, it is very rewarding in that regard. And then we get the green light from the oncologist to say, okay, their cancer is cured. Now you can go ahead and put in a baby. So um, that is, is rewarding. The other thing we're seeing is older patients. And a little message out there is, Every single day on my schedule, I will have at least two to five 40-somethings, 40-pluses. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And the women are in their mid-40s, and the men are in their mid-40s to early 50s, and they are coming to have kids. And, you know, it is important for me, thank you for the opportunity to speak about this, because I can't tell you how many times, just the other day, I wish I would have come seen you sooner. Yeah, so 43-year-old yes, trying for five years, now at 43, going to be 44. Her window is pretty much closed for fertility. And so I needed to talk to her about out-of-the-box choices like adoption, egg donor, embryo donor. And this couple can still have their family, but maybe not with their own eggs. Would you let her try, though? 
So the literature, most fertility centers after 42 are starting to say, look, egg donor or you're done. The older you are, the less likely it's going to work. So my my couples are very smart, right? And the oldest patient we ever got pregnant with her own eggs was 43, delivered at 44. So anyone in that age range and above should probably consider the out of the box three choices I mentioned. However, we all know that 47, 48 year old who got pregnant on her own. So what I tell them that is I've got an N of three people in my entire life who I knew were in that age group that got pregnant on her own. My advice is for you to do an egg donor. However, if there's part of you that says you wanna try, I think that's one of the reasons we're different. I'm not gonna say no, but I'm gonna warn them that A, you may not stimulate. B, we may not get eggs. C, the eggs may not fertilize. We may not get them to blastocyst. They may not be genetically normal. So you've got a huge uphill climb for that goal. But there are women and couples that, you know what? They look at me and they say, I hear what you're saying. I get it. But there's something in my heart that I need to know I need to try. And if it doesn't work, then I'm done. I know I tried with my own eggs. Or if it doesn't work, I know I tried. And my ears and heart is more open to the other choices. So that's where the psychology of fertility, you know, I, I don't let a fertility center say, no, come in and get educated about the statistics, the process. And I got to tell you, eight times out of 10, that couple who was given the chance and got to any stage of that marker, they go to egg donor adoption after that. At what age can you no longer physically have a child? You have to think about that too, right? Well, so for egg donor, the you can have a menopausal uterus and stop having periods and I can get that uterus to wake up. Ooh, that's so too. the yeah, so the oldest patient, early fifties actually, for egg donor. Really? Yep. yep. So the oldest patient we got pregnant was like fifty three, fifty four and delivered uh, and uh, you know she used a you know, 20 year old egg donor and, and it, but in that situation you have to make sure that you get medical clearance from your OBGYN in your primary care and it's you know a higher risk pregnancy um, but it's you know you've heard people in India you know there was a 60 or some 70 year old who got pregnant you have to start thinking of the ethics of that is and I think that ASRM which is our American Society of Reproductive Medicine kind of did the math and and they made a cutoff in the early 50s for the recipient because you know you want to not leave a child at seven years old and and the average life expectancy of women is in I think their early 80s late 70 early 80 so you know they did the math and added 21 years for adulthood and that's kind of part of where they came up with that cutoff Mm, that's great to know let's take a quick break I know you have an event that's coming up that's very important to you and we want to tell our listeners all about it You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to WJR's Healthy Woman Show. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Carol Kowalczyk. And Dr. Carol, there is a very important event coming up. It's called the Walk of Hope. It's taking place on April 29th at noon in Detroit. And Sue Johnston, the co-chair, is on the line. Sue, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm going to turn this over to you, Dr. Carol, because you've got some questions for Sue. Hi, Sue. So thank you for being on the show. And the Walk of Hope is in its fifth year, I think. 
And uh, I just want to make sure that people are aware that it's a wonderful event supporting people struggling, struggling with infertility. So tell me a little about its mission. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'd like to address, we have four missions for the Walk of Hope. Number one is to increase the awareness about the disease of infertility. Um, You know, I don't know if you've heard, you probably have, Dr. Uh, Kowalczyk, but just this past week, the World Health Organization has recognized that instead of one in eight people are impacted by infertility, one in six, they've upped that to one in six people have been affected by infertility worldwide. So that's our first mission. Our second mission is to connect people with each other so that they can find someone else that could be on a similar journey toward uh, their resolution. Um, And we do journey beads and whatnot so people can understand who to look for, a visual thing, and I can share more about that uh, with you later on. And then the third one is, I feel, a very, very important mission is to connect our uh, infertility community with sponsors in the community that are there to help them. People that can provide resources, whether it be through reproductive endocrinology or through acupuncture or uh, through fertile yoga, healthy living. Uh, Even law attorneys are planning to be there this year that specialize in infertility uh, law. So anyway, there's that's a big component is to connect people with resources in the community. And then our last uh, mission is that it is a charity fundraiser. We raise money for Resolve, which is the National Infertility Association. And without Resolve, we wouldn't be able to partner with ASRM and provide advocacy for uh, at the federal level for infertility awareness. And we also provide free programs, free support groups to the infertility community. So we want to support Resolve as well. So tell us a little bit uh, more, Sue, about where this is and the timing and the date so that people who want to come and be part of this and support you can be there. Okay, wonderful. Yes, it is on April 29th. We are always the last Saturday of the week of National Infertility Awareness Week. So Saturday, April 29th, it will start at noon. We have a delightful program all set up for you, and it should run about two hours. We'll have a program, some introductions, our presenting sponsors and other sponsors. Uh, We have a Difference Maker Award this year. It's in our our inaugural uh, Difference Maker Award some person that we will keep anonymous for now will be highlighted for making a big difference in the state of Michigan, and she will be presented with a special award. And we have um, other activities that people can enjoy, community building activities throughout the, the two hours that we'll be there. Then we'll take a break and we'll do a little walk around the Tolan Playfield. We, uh, it takes five laps to walk around one mile. Uh, so that's five laps around this playfield. It's paved and we, um, it's very walker friendly, very stroller friendly. If you don't feel like walking, there are a myriad of other things that you can do while we, uh, we have this little 25 minute walk. And then we'll reconvene for our concluding part of the program to recognize 
uh, people who have come the farthest, raised the most, participated in the T-shirt contest, um, you know, the individuals that have raised the most. And we finish our, our uh, Walk of Hope with the Miracle Baby Parade, which I think seems to be one of the most um, anticipated and uh, just, you know, people really love to stick around for that to see what miracles we welcomed over the past year. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I bet that's the hit of the day, Carol. <laughs> it is the hit of the day. Oh, it really goodness. is. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, one of the things that you said, Sue, and I know Dr. Carol can absolutely relate to this, is how important this walk is so that people who are struggling can connect. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what it's yeah. all about, is hearing other people's stories and just working with each other to try to make a dream come true? Oh, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that we really like to do is, I mentioned about journey beads. We have several different stations that are set up that people can uh, participate in. And our Journey Beat station seems to be one of the highlights of the walk, too. And what I have set out for people on this table are different colors. They look like Mardi Gras. They're just plastic beads that you... And each uh, tray of beads is a different color. So we have red beads, green, yellow, blue. And each one, you know, we have like eight or nine different colors of beads that people can put on. If you're wearing if you're wearing blue beads, then you're you know that you have a male factor infertility. If you're wearing white beads, that means you have uh, suffered a loss. You have an angel baby. Um, and people can put on these different colored beads that correspond with their journey, and then they can see you know amongst all these participants that come to the Walk of Hope. They can find somebody else. Oh, well, that person's wearing blue beads. That person's wearing green beads. I want to go talk to that person mm-hmm. so that they can connect and realize that they're not alone. And I think that you're right. That is just so important because it, it can be a very isolating journey and you can feel like no one else, uh, you know, understands and gets it. But in reality, there are quite a few people out there in your corner and you could just make a new friend right right? absolutely Mm -hmm. sue johnston co-chair of the walk of hope thanks so much for joining us you are so welcome thank you for having me you've been listening to wjr's healthy woman show brought to you by the michigan center for fertility and women's health on behalf of dr carol kowalczyk i'm ann thomas and we hope you have a great night the healthy woman show with ann thomas and dr carol kowalczyk has been presented by the Michigan Center for Fertility and Women's Health.